0: If you have your Bibles, open them with me once again this morning to the book of Philippians. Uh, Philippians chapter 4. We are uh, 13 weeks into our study of this New Testament letter, and I'm guessing that we have uh, about uh, 3 to 4 more weeks to go uh, to finish up this book before we move on. I, I have enjoyed this study. I hope you have enjoyed this study. I hope you've been encouraged Uh, By the gospel depths that Paul proclaims to the church at Philippi, to the encouraging truth that he gives to God's people then and to us here today. As we've seen over and over again as we've walked through this book, uh, Philippi, the church, the ancient church, the first century church, uh, they're not in a bad place as a church. It's not this kind of letter. Sure, they're not perfect, and we'll get into some of that today, but they're certainly not riddled with issues like the church at Corinth was. They're not semi-abandoning the gospel as some of the churches in Galatia were being tempted to do. Rather, the church at Philippi is simply learning what it means to live as heavenly citizens. And to do this, for them in particular, in a very Romanized, very prestigious colony. Our situation is a bit different, but not all that different. We're the same, trying to learn how to live as citizens of heaven, how to live as followers of Christ in a culture such as ours, in a world Such as ours. And so last week we pressed in a little bit to a couple defining marks of of a heavenly walk. Remember those of you who are here, the grieving that ought to be present for those who don't treasure Christ and the call, the very practical call to find good mentors, right? Paul said, imitate the example that you've seen in me and in men like me. Timothy and Epaphroditus. And so before we move on, I don't normally do this, but I just want to pause for a second and revisit last week with, with two brief questions for you. And the first one is this Have you pressed into anyone? I don't want to rush you, I don't want to guilt trip you into doing anything. But I know how easy it is for us to hear God's Word, to go home, to start our work week, to forget about it, even if we've been challenged in the moment, and to just move on. I want to encourage you, someone, someone has to make the first move. And it's probably not going to be the one who is available to be mentored. Mentored. And I've actually been encouraged because I've heard of a couple moves that were made this past week. A couple younger people who pressed in. So have you pressed in anyone? The second one is this. And this is speaking to potential mentors. So this is speaking to the Pauls among us, not necessarily the Timothys among us. Are you willing to be pressed into? You see, I wish I had spent some time on this last week. I wish I had noted the fact that some of you are to the stage of life where you wouldn't be on the hunt for mentors. That's not because you don't have anything to learn. It's because you're in a season of life where you have learned much and experienced much and you have much to give. And so to you, men and women, are you willing to be pressed into? I hope so. I hope you're willing to go to coffee or to lunch. Because increasingly, as we let God's Word shape us and and fashion us as a church, I want to build in us at Ascension a, a culture of life on life. Why do I want to do that? Because I think the Bible encourages us to do that kind of thing. It's not the only thing the Bible encourages us to do, but it's one of the things, and most recently the thing that we've been challenged With this. I know that some of you are doing this. I'm blessed to hear that. But I know that some of you are way too disconnected than you ought to be. And so I encourage you, as I encouraged you last week, to press in to find good mentors. I also not only want to let God's Word create in us a culture of life on life here at Ascension, but a culture of peace. Peace. Why? Because the Scriptures call us to be a people of peace. A people who are characterized by our peace with God, our peace with one another, within this body, within this spiritual family, and, and peace within ourselves. Within our own hearts, and our own spirits. And so for the next couple weeks, this week and at least the next, that's where we're going to be. We're going to be focusing on Peace This week, peace with one another, and the next week, turning, with, turning towards peace within our own hearts. Because the simple fact is that we as a church, we ought to be leading in these things. Yes, we, we struggle. We struggle like the, wor- the world around us. We struggle with anxiety. We struggle with relational Fractures, but we and we alone, as the people of God, have the recipe for resolution. And it's not a quick fix, it's an ongoing work. But God's Word and the Gospel encourages our hearts in the direction of peace this morning. And so, it's a lengthy intro. Let's listen and give our attention to God's Word. If you're able, it's our tradition here at Ascension for you to stand for the reading of God's Word. This morning I'm going to read Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Listen as I read. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat. Iodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the Gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be God. Go ahead and be seated. Well let's see. there is uh, Simon and Garfunkel, Sonny and Cher, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, Sam and Frodo, of course. Fred and Barney. Bert and Ernie, and then there is Iodia and Syntyche, famous duos, people, fictional or not, who are forever associated with one another. But of course, the duo that stands out in that list is the one that we just heard in Philippians 4 this morning. The one mentioned not for their harmony, not for their camaraderie, but for their dissonance. Can you imagine, Bob? How about you, Whitney? Can you imagine? Hearing your names read in church aloud from the pulpit. See, a couple Bobs in here and a couple Whitneys in here were just freaking out (laughs) because they heard their names from the pulpit. Remember this, this letter, it wasn't Xeroxed and handed out. Everyone please read this quietly and silently to yourself and then we'll discuss it. It would have been read aloud to the church in Philippi and there, there sits Yodia over there. And there sits Syntyche over there. And they suddenly hear their names near the end of this letter. A letter that's been so good. It's been so joyful. This is unprecedented and it's important. See, Paul does this because these women are at odds with one another and and it can't continue. They're not exhibiting peace, they're not exhibiting unity. And the fact of the matter is, sometimes we aren't either. We don't know much about these women. We know they were women. We know they were believers because Paul makes a point of telling us that their names are written in the book of life. For those of you not familiar with the scriptures, the book of life is this concept throughout the scriptures that we find where God records and knows those who are his own. We first hear about it in the book of Exodus 32 with Moses. But they're more than just believers, these two women, they're They're actually fellow workers with Paul. And I think knowing those factual things about these women, we can then speculate two things. That they were prominent in the church in Philippi, and that they were mature in the faith. Why else would Paul call them out publicly like this? If A, they couldn't handle the rebuke, and B, if their issue, whatever it was, wasn't affecting others or their witness as a church. What's their issue? Well, we, we don't know that either, unfortunately. Maybe it was a, a, a theological disagreement. A fine point of theology. Maybe it was a difference in, in vision for ministry. Maybe it was a difference in... Opinion about how the empire handled the last plague. Maybe it was politics. Maybe it was issues of social justice. Maybe it was two moms batting it out about how they should school their kids. Paul doesn't bother to tell us, but presumably the church knows what the issue is. And at the end of the day, it's probably better that we don't know that issue ourselves. Because all we hear from Paul without picking sides, without getting into the weeds of exactly what's going on between these two women is a begging, that would be another translation for this word entreat, a begging for them to work this out. And you know what? This helps us, I think, not knowing the details of what's going on. It helps us to not get distracted But to focus on the larger issue for us here this morning, what do we do with conflict in the church? How do the scriptures bear upon our disagreements with one another and our relational fractures? We are to be a people of peace. So how exactly does that happen? Well, this isn't, this isn't a how-to passage, the Bible isn't a how-to kind of book, but I really do believe that there are practical things for us to chew on here in regards to that question, what do we do with conflict in the church? How do we be a people of peace? Helpful things for our life together. And so I want to take this, this short passage as an opportunity to talk for a minute about conflict among us, about conflict in the church. We're going to pick apart these five verses briefly, centering around three encouragements in our path to peace. And the first one is this The path to peace begins and continues and ends with the gospel. The path to peace begins and continues and ends with the Gospel. It's the good news of Jesus that is the ground, that is the foundation of our peace. It's the good news of Jesus that is the glue, the thing that makes peace possible in this life. Because in and of ourselves, we just don't have the motivation. We just don't have the stamina. So any kind of peace whether relational peace or internal peace, where we'll be next week, must begin with peace with God. Everything flows from that. Thomas Akempis, who was a 15th century Christian monk, wrote about this. He wrote about Jesus' words in John 14.6, and he says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life those are Jesus' words, of course. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And He says, without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. And we could add, without the Prince of Peace, there is no rest. There is no peace. And so no, no we're not after removing all trouble. We, we can't remove all trouble in our world right now. It's the reality of the world we live in. It's the reality of our sinful hearts and actions. What we're after is stability in an unstable world, rest in the midst of trouble, and in regard to our relationships, a way forward despite our own sin and the sin in those around us. So where do we see this? The path to peace begins and ends in the Gospel. Where do we see this? It's in the simple phrase in verse 2. In the Lord. That's how these women are going to agree. In the Lord. Because of the Gospel. Because of the Lord. Of who He is. Of what He's done. And the new creations that they are in Him. Paul exhorts them to agree in the Lord. Or literally to have the same mind. This is this doesn't necessarily mean they're going to believe all the same things but by virtue of their union with Jesus, the One who didn't insist on His own way. The One who served others before Himself. The One who left His Spirit with us. Because of Jesus, their disagreeing can exist without fracturing their fellowship. Without hindering their common mission. The Gospel can align them in a way that nothing else can. That's what Paul is saying. They don't need to be personally vindicated in order to work together. And even beyond that, because of the gospel, there can be joy. Joy in the Lord. Again, verse 4 Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. We'll bring up this command again next week because there's overlap between this and what is to come. This is kind of the hinge between these two exhortations. But it is, isn't it interesting that here in the midst of a rebuke on discord, Paul challenges the church on their attitude in the midst of this conflict, calling them to rejoice, to rejoice in the Lord. Because for the Christian, the strains and the stresses and the struggles of life can't eclipse joy. Yes, the enemy of our souls wants us wrapped up in our rights. He wants us wrapped up in our circumstances, not counting our blessings, not looking forward to all things being made new, but rejoicing in the Lord, keeping the gospel in view reminds us of the big picture. And it also reminds us that God is always at work in His people, right? That there are no accidents, that there are no wasted scenarios. Whether it be cancer, or conflict, or job loss. God is at work in those who love Him and those who are called according to His purpose. One author says this about joy, and we'll circle back to this next week. Joy is an affection, a deep and durable delight that is the fruit of a mind immersed in the truth of who God is and all that He has savingly secured for us in His Son. The path to peace, the path to joy even, in the midst of discord, begins and continues and ends with the gospel that's where we must start this morning that's where we must start every morning in the gospel but paul tells us more here more than just those three words and the second encouragement this morning is this the path to peace is fueled by love the path to peace is fueled by love our world I don't have to tell you, our world is a world fueled by outrage. We've talked about it before. We as a culture, we so easily indulge ourselves in offense. Right? Eager to go toe-to-toe in order to vindicate ourselves, in order to vindicate our cause. Everything from road rage to Twitter fits, to, as we've seen recently, attacks on those whose po- politics are different than ours. Paul gives this encouragement to the church in such a world. Verse 5: Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. This, simply put, is one of the keys to unity, it's one of the keys to community. And the the, the semantic range—that's the—that's the range of meaning that this word has. It's it's wide. Some other translations: a forbearing spirit, gentleness, considerate, graciousness. Roll all those words. Reasonableness, as it says in our translation. Roll all those words into one. That's what Paul's wanting to see: this Christ-like love. That's the opposite of being rash and contentious. He said to the, Corinth, the church of Corinth, 2 Corinthians 10:1, I appeal to you with the gentleness and kindness of Christ. And so back to these women, how, how might this posture help them? How might this help us in our conflicts with one another? Well, I think real practically, it demands that we ask this question. Is this worth fighting over? Is this worth fighting over? This goes back somewhat to those tears that we've talked about in the few sermons I've preached on unity and community in the last few years. Not everything rises to the level of absolute, or at least it, not, it ought not rise to the level of absolute. And so there are some things that just simply aren't worth fighting over. Hopefully those of you who are married know this is true in marriage. Think about some of the things you've fought over recently. Let me read some passages. Proverbs 17, 14, the beginning of strife is like letting out water, so quit before the quarrel breaks out. Proverbs nineteen eleven: good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory... To overlook an offense. 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. 1 Corinthians 13:4. love keeps no record of wrongs. Your security in who you are as a child of God is And your love for your brother or sister in Christ, despite their weakness, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to reflect God's love and God's forgiveness. Again, this is possible only because of the Gospel, but Paul adds another great phrase in verse 5 where he states, "...the Lord is at hand." And we don't know exactly what Paul is saying here. He's saying probably one of two things. Either he's reminding us that we have a gentle Savior whose Spirit is with us. Who resides with us individually. Who resides with us collectively. Even here this morning, the Lord is at hand. He is here uniting our hearts in love and concern for one another. Or maybe Paul is talking about that Lord who is coming soon to judge the earth, to make all things right, to deal with those whose hearts are hardened to Him. Either way, it's His love. His love that is both with us, His love that is coming soon that turns into our love and our reasonableness in our relationships. And that's why I say the path to peace is fueled... By love. Gospel love. It sounds easy, but it's not easy. You know it's not easy. We need grace. We need His presence. And what if the issue is too great? Right? What if the disagreement is insurmountable? Or so you think. You've sought to cover it in love, but you just just can't. And you move, you you make the first move towards peace, which is even harder. Notice Paul doesn't instruct one of these women to make the first move. He just tells them to get along. He tells them to agree in the Lord. But suppose you make the first move in humility and, and that doesn't work either. Well, then what? Well, that's the last thing I think we can glean from this passage of the Apostle Paul, and it's this. The path to peace often requires the church. The path to peace often requires the church. We close this morning with this. You made the first move. It didn't go well. You need a true companion. Verse 3. Paul specifically appeals to this person, this True companion. Another translation calls this person a loyal yoke fellow. Someone who bears the burden, bears the yoke with you. Who is this person? Well, again, we don't know. Some people have thought it must be Epaphroditus, but he's with Paul. Paul. Maybe it's Timothy. They like Timothy quite a bit. Maybe it's Silas, who Paul had a great relationship with. Maybe it's Luke. Some have even suggested, as your ESV, if you have an English Standard Version Bible, suggests that the Greek word translated as true companion is actually a proper name. Somebody whose name means true companion. And he's calling on that person in the church to come and help these women. Still, others think it's a designation for the entire church. Kind of collectively, we are true companions of one another. Whomever this is, whether it's an individual, whether it's us collectively as a whole, we can apply it to our lives and say this simple fact, what I said last week is that we need each other. We need each other. The fact of the matter is, sometimes we, we lock horns with one another and we're each blinded by the logs in our own eyes because we're trying to get the specs out of others. We need someone else to come in and help us see clearly. And I know we don't like to stick our nose in other people's business. But when it comes to gospel unity, when it comes to gospel witness, even the most mature among us at times need to be pointed in the right direction. Jesus, of course, says the same thing in Matthew 18 16. If he does not listen, take one or two others. With you, Brothers and sisters, we, we need each other. At times, our faith is weak like we talked about last week. At times, our vision is cloudy like we see here this week in these women. And so God has given us one another in order to maintain peace. No one looks for conflict. I certainly don't. I try to avoid conflict at all costs. No one wants to be at odds with a brother or sister in Christ, but it will happen. And when it does, we must remember that not only does God in His wisdom give us a path to peace, but actually our conflicts, they provide us with opportunities. Opportunities to press into the Gospel more deeply to serve and love one another and to grow and mature as the body of Christ, the witness of peace to the world around us. May God give us the grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for the experience of Yodia and Singtaki, These women who we know nothing about Are not much about anyway. Women we look forward to meeting in the new heavens and the new earth. But women who are held up by the Apostle Paul for our benefit, recognizing that we all, in our brokenness, in our pride, we get blinded in our sin. And we fail to love, we fail to see our brother and sister clearly in their brokenness, in their weakness. Father, I pray that in a world of conflict, in a world of rage, in a world of defamation trials, that make the nightly news, may we as the church increasingly so be a people of peace and harmony. We confess that we have failed often, but we also confess that you've given us the resources, you've given us the gospel, you've given us your spirit that we might walk in a way that the world can't walk. Oh, Father, give us the grace, show us the way, lead us. And carry us, we ask. All of this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.